everybody. So, uh, for probably the last month, I'd say, like, practice has been really difficult for me. Like, basically, since we got back from retreat, I think. I'm not totally, totally sure why. I think a lot of it has to do with, like, just, it just seems like with the day we got back from retreat, like, really bad news kept happening, like, over and over again. And so it's kind of this feeling, I think, of like, you know, the kind of world spinning out of control, you know. Every time I sit, you know, it's like, you know, feel like my head's on fire. When your head's on fire, you don't want to sit still and be quiet. You want to run around screaming that your head's on fire. But Zen's pretty adamant that, like, running around screaming that your head's on fire when your head's on fire is, is actually the, the greater suffering, you know? If you can sit sit quiet, you know, even and just <laughs> watch your head be on fire, that's, uh, that's the better way to go. So, that's what I've been doing for the past month. Just like, you know, sitting zazen, like always, and it's been hard. Just like waiting for the bell, you know? Um, and, you know, I got into this, like, a, didn't want to, I didn't want to deal with any other Zen stuff, kind of, for the last. I didn't want to read any Zen stuff, and this talk was coming up, and so I'm like, ah, oh, all right, I gotta, gotta read some Zen stuff to get ready for this talk. People kind of come to this practice early on. There's usually a, a book or books that they kind of connect with, really, you know, really strongly. I think pretty, everybody kind of, it, it seems like Zen mind, beginner's mind is kind of like the go-to for most people, as it is for me. But a close second would be Embracing Minds in Talks of Kobenchino Odagawa. I love this book. I, you know, I keep going, I come back to this book all the time, you know. And similar, I think, to Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind. You can read it endlessly and you'll find new stuff will come out each time you open it up. Any kind of great work of art, a great work of literature, it's like every time you go back to it, it's new again. It kind of has this ability to continuously generate something and and zen is like has lots of texts like that it's pretty great this is one of them i think if you don't if you're not familiar with kobenchino he was um zen priest from japan who's invited to come over to the united states by shonyu suzuki i think in the late 60s the reason he was invited over is because he was um, someone who was really extensively trained in ceremonies and, and temple craft. And Chunryu Suzuki brought him over to like basically teach temple craft, teach formal uh, Zen ceremonies to students at Tassajara and San Francisco Zen Center. So he came over and he was doing that. But after being here in the West for a period of time, it, he kind of decided he didn't want to do that anymore. He wasn't into like the more formal side of Zen and he uh, kind of struck out on his own. He started several Zen centers around the country. He started one in Switzerland as well. His centers uh, tend to be some of the less formal centers out there. The sanghas that he started are more formal than this place, but maybe not too much more formal than this place. And he, he died really tragically, I think in the uh, late 90s, I think. He drowned in Switzerland with his daughter. People don't really know what happened, but it's kind of assumed that his daughter fell in this lake in Switzerland and he dove in to save her and they both drowned. So it's really tragic. 
And, and I should say that this book, like similar to Zen Mind, Beginner's Mind, and a lot of Zen texts that have been published in the West, they're not like written books. This is a collection of his talks and, his, and the transcriptions of his talks. Most of these talks are from uh, uh, sessions he led over the years. And you can, you can find recordings of his talks, some videos of his talks online. And if you listen to them or watch them, you will be struck by how softly and how slowly he speaks. His English was not great, but the, the way he would give these talks, like the pauses between words are like so long that it almost requires like a different kind of listening. You, you, you almost forgot the last word by the time, you know, he says the next one. <laughs> it's really interesting to listen to. And so this portion, this chapter that I'm going to read, this chapter, it's like, it's like a page and a half. Like this probably took like, this is probably an hour long talk. It's really interesting. But the way he talks about things, it's just always fascinated me. I just love the way he talks about Zen and explains things. And so I was looking through this book, trying to figure out something to, to give a talk on, and I came across this section that's simply called Tathagata. And in this page and a half, kind of takes a deep dive into, into that word and unpacks it a little bit. So I'll just start Tathagata. After he started to recover, Buddha had a psychic experience in which Brahman appeared in his sight and requested that he must live long and relate with other people. So what he's referring to in this part is that um, after Buddha had his enlightenment experience and he uh, you know, began to recover from his story, of course, is that he was doing like these extreme aesthetic practices, right? So he was starving himself, not drinking much water. He was kind of on the verge of death and then he decided that this isn't the way to go and he started to nurse himself back to health and then you know he decided to just sit under a tree. He, he kind of figured things out and that's when he had his enlightenment experience. And after he had that he didn't know what to do. He had doubts that he would be able to explain what he had experienced to everybody, to anybody. The thought crossed his mind that he would just keep it to himself and you know live an enlightened life on his own. But uh, as the story goes, the god Brahman appears to him and kind of pleads with him. He's like, you got to tell people about this. Do your best, you know. Even if like one or two people get it, you know, that's worth it. So please try. And he agrees to try. And so he goes back. He finds his old friends that he was doing these kind of extreme practices with. So when he came back to those old tapas friends, and, and here tapas is, refers to like this extreme aesthetic practices. It's not the bar snacks. Thing, yeah. Every one of them gradually started to welcome him. One by one, they accepted him in the circle. At that time, Buddha said, do not call me you. And Kuanchina goes on to say, I ask myself what kind of mind gives that response that Buddha gave. It's natural to say, how are you? How do you do? But when he reappeared among people, he never again said, I believe or I think. So after his, uh, this enlightenment experience, Buddha does not refer to himself as Buddha. He does not refer to himself as I. In you know, all the, the Pali canon, all the early texts that supposedly came straight from his mouth, he always refers to himself with this word Tathagata. But when he appeared among people, he never again said, I believe or I think. Always he said Tathagata speaks. Tathagata refers to the one who accomplished the purpose, the one who has come. 
And then he goes on and he uh, recites the opening Dharma verse, which we just, we just chanted. Uh, an unsurpassed, penetrating, and perfect Dharma is rarely met with, even a hundred thousand million culprits. Having it to see and listen to, to remember and accept, I vow to taste the truth of the Tagata's words. And that, it says in the book right here, and it says in the handout, is from a San Francisco Zen Center handout. So, now you know where it all came from. So, it goes on. We struggled to translate this stanza into English around 20 years ago, and we ended up with this strange English stanza. It's hard to understand Tathagata. The Buddha spoke of Tathagata as his synonym, and when he referred to former Buddhas, he would say so-and-so Tathagata. Yahweh is the closest word to this Tathagata. It means it is complete in itself, and no words are able to describe what it is. Tata means thus, as, it, as a thing is, as things are. Gata is, has come, so you are experiencing it. At the same time, this word agata means gone, thus you are able to see the other side of it. So Tathagata means thus come and thus gone at the same time. So it's like a compound word, you know, thus and then coming and going all at the same time. Again, it's very hard to capture. You are listening to continuous sound, but each sound you are capturing is what truth is. It is like the rhythm of continually running water. So I think when we hear the word Tathagata, we kind of tend to think of it almost as like this honorific, right? This, this title the Buddha gave to himself, maybe, or that we uh, ascribe to the Buddha, but it's kind of the opposite. It's, it's not an honorific. It's basically the Buddha saying that he's not different from anything else in the universe, that any kind of phenomena, he's just an extension of that phenomena, right? He's coming and going. He's not a thing that comes and goes. He is coming and going, if that makes sense. He gives the example of um, the rhythm of continually running water, right? It's like, you know, if you listen to a stream running, you might be tempted to kind of, uh, in some way with your mind, grasp that stream, try to find like an instant, you know, that you can hold on to in that sound of running water, of a running stream, but you can't do it. Anything you can grab onto will not be the stream, right? It's like this idea that, again, any phenomena that exists is a simultaneous process of coming and going. And the Buddha is no different. You and I are no different. Anything that you can, like, you know, encounter is no different. It's an example of sunyata or emptiness, right? So, I continue. Shakyamuni Buddha himself said, Myself, great earth, sentient beings, same time accomplished the way. It is not that Buddha became a conqueror and the rest of us are all still straying somewhere. Everything became accomplished. So what he's talking about in this paragraph, of course, is Buddha's enlightenment experience. And in his own words, Buddha said that, you know, he described his enlightenment experience as myself and the great earth and all sentient beings at the same time accomplished the way. And... Um, I don't really know what to make of uh, Buddha's enlightenment experience, usually. I feel like there's a temptation to understand it in terms of, like, first, Buddha was not enlightened, and then he sat down, and then he became enlightened, along with everything else. And so there's, like, this kind of linear understanding of it, and I kind of have this feeling that that's not what's going on there. I remember once asking Brad, 
a long time ago. You know, you sit Zazen, sometimes you'll have like some kind of glimmers of insight or something. I asked him, like, how do you know if some kind of insight is real or not? You know, how do you know if you're like deluding yourself or if that's a real insight, you know, that's, that's coming up? And he said, like, you know, the, the real insights tend to, it's like the, the feeling of like, you know, when you find a shoe under your couch or something. It's like there's this feelings of, like, oh, right, that's where that is. This feeling of like, you know, finding your keys exactly where you left them. Oh, you know, it's something that was there all along. And you, you kind of just like remembered it. So I have this feeling that uh, that's maybe a, a more accurate way to understand the, the kind of Buddha's enlightenment experience. The, the, there's always the, the kind of thing you hear is like, well, you know, if everything became enlightened at the same time that Buddha became enlightened, you know. How come I don't, I'm not enlightened? Or how come I, didn't, I don't remember being enlightened, right? And so I kind of feel like a, a way to understand is this that, that there's not like a before and after, maybe, is another way to, to understand it. Like, you know, it's, it's like the, the keys were always where you left them, I think. Yeah, there's no before and after, really, in the you know, enlightenment of, of everything becoming accomplished, as Kobanchino says. So, next paragraph. So one view of it is that each one of you is a jewel in Indra's net, and the next person is a jewel, and all beings are placing themselves in Indra's net. No two are the same. It must certainly be so. Otherwise, I could not understand who each of you are, or why you are here. Once, twice, we meet, maybe five or ten years between. And still we remember, oh yes, we met a long time ago. And you recover your precise memory of what happened. So I don't know if everyone's familiar with the idea of Indra's net. Indra's net's kind of this, it actually, I found out, it's an uh, uh, idea that predates Buddhism. Like there's, you know, mentions of Indra's net going way back to, in, in the Vedic tradition. But Indra is like, a, he's, you know, he's a Vedic god and he's associated with the sky and devas that you know, kind of live in the sky. But there's like this idea of Indra's net and it's this net where, you know, if you think of a net, like each intersection, there's a jewel and each jewel reflects all the other jewels in the net. And it's kind of uh, a way to explain interdependent origination, you know, how the interconnectedness of all things. So, like, each being in the universe is reflecting all other beings simultaneously. So that's what he's talking about in that paragraph. And he kind of, in a way, is saying, like, the only way that, like, any of this kind of stuff that, that you know, the way that we can, like, relate to each other and we recognize each other as other beings is because, you know, we're all kind of the same thing already. Again, you know, in one of Brad's books, you know, he had, there's like this line that said that, you know, on a certain level, you, you wouldn't be able to understand anything I'm saying in this book if you didn't know it already. So it's kind of that idea, I think, that he's talking about. So the last paragraph. The contents of the Enlightenment experience are the same as this Tathagata. It rejects your knowing because it exists in the root of the action of knowing. The one who knows is what it is. The one who is known by it is not necessarily what it is. So that's like a really weird two sentences, but I'm trying to like 
trying to make sense of it, and I think basically what he's saying is, uh, you know, if you're it, back to the example of listening to the running stream, it's like there's the listening of the stream is like the knowing, you know, and if if you're trying to uh, grasp that and make sense of it, that's not necessarily the knowing. That's that's something else, and that's why you know this kind of enlightenment experience or however you want to define it like to try to pin it down doesn't work if you like try to isolate it to like a single instant that's you know kind of uh knowable that's not it right this tathagata is what your real essence of life is what truth itself is so that we become very helpless when we try to know it the knowledge of our existence what we are what things are is kind of ancient memory of what it is we wish to experience the past as the present, and as we experience the past, nothing is known about the future. In terms of knowing about the future, we are in helpless darkness. I think that's really interesting, the, the, the wish to experience the past as the present. Kind of like the idea of, uh, or this desire to kind of understand things, right? Or, or to live in like a situation where... Um, things make sense, right? You know, where you can like put concepts onto things, I think is one way to explain it, you know? Just trying to put concepts on top of direct experience, I think is what he's talking about when, you know, the wish to experience the, the past is the present. And as we experience the past, nothing is known of the future. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know, I'm, I'm not totally sure what to make of uh, that last sentence in terms of knowing about the future, we are in helpless darkness. And maybe on some level there's, uh, kind of suggesting that like the understanding of things in a linear fashion is a form of delusion, right? But I'd love to hear what you guys think of that too. So I, that's, the, that's it. It's like a short page and a half section. I think it's pretty awesome, but uh, I'd love to hear what you guys think. So if anybody has any questions or anything to say, now's the time. Uh, thanks, Jason, for talk. I was just thinking about how when I first started coming here, I had a very only a very loose understanding of what Buddhism was, but I just, you know, when I knew of it, I was like, okay, cool. And I was mostly just looking for people to sit with, so mm -hmm. it was very much like come in and start hearing all these weird stories. Because I didn't understand a lot of the talks. Like, I would come to them, I would, I would do the sit, and I would be like, okay, great, I made it the sit, and then you know, you guys would always say, like, the, the talks are like the lollipop that you get after the doctor's office. So it was like, that was the main thing. But um, I just, after a while, I was like, it's so weird because sometimes I understand what they're saying. And sometimes I really kind of am like, what? And um, I had the feeling, like, the feeling that I always had likened it to is it was like, you go there and like, it's like you get on a train and the train is just like going all the time, but you're just happen to be getting on. And so, you know, it's like I would come in the movie Spirited Away. There's this train that's just kind of going and it's like this cool thing in the movie and they just kind of get on. But the train is always running. And so I would feel like when I came here, I was like, oh, I'm getting on the train. But then I was like, eventually it was like, oh, no, the train's always going. It's just the only time I feel like I'm getting on is when I'm here. And so I think that's been something in my practice where I'm like, oh, it's how much you can be present for it. So, I mean, the sound of the water is what reminded, you know, just that analogy. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting way to understand it. Yeah, yeah, I totally remember, like, just coming in here and, you know, maybe a little <laughs> bit of the talk yeah. and just like... Oh, 
<laughs> maybe I'll, maybe I don't get this, you know, maybe this is like too hard. It's like, yeah, I, I, I do like that, that idea of the train and it's like something that's always going and yeah. I've, I've heard like Zazen talked about in those terms. It's like you can you get on the Zazen train, you know, and it's like when you get off when the bell rings and stuff. But it's like this thing that's like, you know, it's not it's not necessarily like you. It's not your Zazen. It's like just Zazen, you know, and it's kind of going all the time. But yeah, I think that's that's okay. It's really good. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, Jason. You're right. Like every paragraph of that was like a whole hour long of unpacking. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm curious about the connection between like the Buddha and Tathagata because the way that I understood it was like the Buddha we're talking about is you know, a guy named Siddhartha Gautama Shakyamuni of the Shakya clan and he's a guy and he lived in India 2500 years ago and then he died but it sounds like Tathagata is more like this universal function of reality that I, I guess the way I took that was when he says it's Tathagata speaking, it's like this function is speaking through me. Like yeah. I'm that function of reality that's speaking through you right now. And there was other people before me, he says, who were that function of reality and other people after me and also all of you that are that function of reality yeah. too. But it's yeah. not just – if because it's like if this was just the opinion of some guy named Gautama – cool but it doesn't matter too much <laughs> whereas if it's if it's the ultimate if it's like a function of true reality speaking through that guy then it matters but i don't know what you think about siddhartha Gautama, the buddha versus the tathagata i mean yeah i think you're right i think uh yeah that when he says tathagata it's function of reality i think is a good way to to phrase it i don't know if there needs to be like a separation though necessarily between like the guy the kind of you know figure Shakyamuni and this notion of Tathagata. I think, I mean, for us, I think it maybe is, uh, you know, a matter of convenience to talk about Shakyamuni and, and you know, Siddhartha Gautama, you know, instead of talking about, you know, function of the universe when, when we're trying to talk about the Buddha. And it's, it's weird, yeah, because it's, I think it gets to, I mean, it gets to the heart of uh, Buddhism and Buddhist practice, you know, this realization that this as you said function of reality is is kind of like everything you encounter is just the same function of reality right so yeah i'm not sure i think maybe the the separation is just a matter of, of convenience yeah i don't know yeah. thank you yeah this is funny because i've read a lot of debates about the word Tathagata, right? Because it can be translated either as thus come or thus gone. And so everyone's been debating for however long, like, which one did he mean, you know? And only after hearing Kobe Chino say that, it's like, you know what, maybe Buddha knew what he was doing. I think he maybe knew. Maybe it was a pun. <laughs> maybe he understood the Sanskrit or Pali language and he was good enough at it to make a pun out of it where it was both at the same time. That answers the whole question. Because then, yeah, when you said comes and goes, like, oh yeah, it comes and goes. That sounds like, because I always, my, my problem was thus come, always sounded like nice and humble and, you know, just this. And that sounded great. But thus gone sounded a bit like, I'm the one who has thus gone. That sounded a little, little, little transcendent, a little bit like, it didn't sound that enlightened to refer to yourself as like the one who's gone beyond. You know what I mean? So it really yeah. didn't seem in character. But comes and goes. Absolutely. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really nice to hear. And that's what I was thinking about during the, uh, when you're talking about the insight thing, like which insight. and. I don't know, I feel like it's in the word. And the, the question of what his experience was, because it's like, I don't know, do you ever have those moments where 
there never has been a mistake before. You know what I mean? It's like realize it all. It's like, well, of course, you know? Mm -hmm. And so then the question of like, which insights are real, you know, in that moment of like, ah, of course, everything was the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like everything was worth it. Everything was part of it. There was no that moment without the rest of them. So like, they're all like, yes, I love it all. You know, Mm -hmm. that's why I like the just as it is but also gone. I don't know. It's just so good. Yeah. I don't know. That just seems really important to me that um, there's never anything wrong. <laughs> All the insights were grand. <laughs> um, do you, is that, that, that? Yeah. I, you know, first I, the, you know, this comes this gone thing. I, I think it's interesting because yeah, I've heard it translated often as as thus come, right? And it, to me, that always sounded like you know it was like kind of like uh, saviorish, you know, or something. And I was like, like yeah, that's weird. And then yeah, like you were saying with thus gone, but yeah, to when you like read it the way Cobentino kind of unpacks it, to me, it, it's like this kind of great description of emptiness, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the simultaneous coming and going mm-hmm. um, that you know is uh apply to everything hello hi i wanted to say yeah i read i don't know i forget the time period but yeah like i read humans like didn't have a conception of i for a long time and that it was like invented at a certain point like as a literary device Hmm. like maybe after the greeks or something like that so that's interesting and then I was also thinking about like is it biblical hebrew like there's no time or like it's contextualized. So that's interesting, like some languages not having time the way we think of it. And I mean, I definitely experience it as subjective. And then I was also thinking about the train thing. I don't know the one in Spirited Away, but in Totoro, there's like the night bus, the cat bus or whatever is what I was picturing. And like, that's so magical. And like, it definitely seems like that. And then I was also thinking running with the trains of like, living in New York City and like there's a way that over time the rumbling of the trains it just like gets in your bones and you're like carrying it with you everywhere and and then you like leave New York City and everyone talks about like oh but it's like a lover that you like never stop pining after Mm -hmm. and um do you feel like Zazen is like that like the more you practice it the more it like rumbles in your bones and stays with you or I don't know (laughs) oh yeah that's interesting um yeah, maybe that's maybe that's that's a that's that's a a good way to to interesting way to describe it. I think. I mean, it's funny, you know. Uh, I started this talk saying like how difficult Zazen had been, and and you know how I was I was not enjoying it. You know, sometimes you enjoy, sometimes it's great, and other times it's not great. A lot of this past month not been great. It's been really hard, but even still, like there's a part of me that like. Even though I really didn't want to sit down and just be quiet, like, I kind of did. Like, I wake up in the morning and, you know, kind of grudgingly go to the cushion. But part of me kind of, like, you know, always looks forward to it in in some weird way, in some way that's kind of hard to describe. So I think, yeah, yeah, a, a lover you always kind of pine for. That's interesting. Yeah, thank you very much. I was just happy to hear that other people have been having a hard time with the whole sitting because it's been a pain in the ass probably for about a month. I don't know, maybe longer. But I was wondering, I have realized personally that it doesn't matter if it's a pain in the ass because I have to do it or I don't feel normal anymore. 
And that was kind of a bummer on top of a bummer. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if you had related to that or I'm hoping I kind of find peace with it, if you know what I mean. Like, Mm -hmm. because it's something I apparently have to do for the rest of my life, but it just seems kind of an overwhelming proposition. Yeah, (laughs) I know it does. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm like scared to find out what would happen if I stopped doing it. So it's better, better is to do it. Even if it sucks, even if it's like really difficult and it's the last thing I want to do is like better do it. Because who knows what happens if I don't do it. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, thank you. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> thank you, everybody. Announcements are, um, first thing is the money speech, uh, which is a thank you speech. Thank you so much for everybody donating. We absolutely need it. We're only donor reliant and uh, the numbers don't look great lately. So I got to get a stronger money speech, which means really thank you. And also there's a basket here. I recommend 10 to 15 per sit. There's a nation link online. Best way to support is become a recurring member on the website so we can track our finances and not be as concerned. But if you cannot donate, please don't. It's a pay-what-you-can system. No one turned away. And if you can, please do so we can afford to not worry about those who can't. That's our system. That's how it works. And thank you, everybody, for what you're doing. We do get by. But, you know, it, it, it comes and goes. <laughs> um,